You're listening to Tiger's Eye, episode 19. This water demon is too enormous, too terrible for me to take in all at once as I fall. The impression of an abyss flanked with rows of triangular teeth opening up before us, practically willing my companions and I to dive into its belly. We veer to the sides as we fall, examining the approaching head for weak spots, the nose, the eyes. Its gums are red and tender looking, but far too dangerous to alight upon. The breath that emanates forth from its cavernous hole is rank, sharp, and overwhelming. A chilling, pungent hurricane. The upper half of it is a dark gray, almost black, starkly contrasting against the pallid white of its lower jaw and underbelly. Its bulbous, conical nose looks like nothing less than a spire from one of the ruined buildings in the cities we have traveled through. The ridged hallways of its throat fade backward into shadow, down in the deepest mausoleum of a stomach. Its eyes are black, immense, and so cold. There is nothing behind them but the desire to consume. It is the right one of these that I aim my spear at. The dark pool rushes up to meet me, and the impact shakes my bones. The skin I attempt to cling onto for dear life is rough and tears up my paws. I kick out, tumble into the water, and am aware of the other cats landing around me. Their blades digging into the skin as the monolithic fish reaches the apex of its leap from the waters, twisting its body in pain and slowly crashing down. I am flung out under the waves. Hollow water. I cannot tell directions or depth and strain against the flashes in my vision. It is dawn. Sunlight is creeping in from above, sending shafts down below the waterline to illuminate the theater in which I am floating. I am suspended in a clear azure chamber of incalculable size. Other cats are kicking for the surface, bubbles scrabbling forth from their mouths as they cry out faintly. The shadow moves behind them. I can make out the sweep of its tail. Now I can take it in from the side and fully comprehend the scale, dwarfing all around it. I am, at once, gripped with terror and strangely, strangely peaceful. It is quieter down here. This thing is a master of its environment, 
a force of infinite strength and hunger. I was foolish to think I could affect anything so vast. It would be like challenging Air Cheetah to a race or wrestling the Earth Jaguar. My overconfidence, however, was born out of a desire to protect. The shadow moves around and veers closer, thrashing that powerful tail. I see lions trying to escape, only to be devoured, leaving crimson clouds behind. I am but moments from death. I grip my remaining spear and begin to kick upward. I want one final breath before I go. I emerge and pull in a gust of morning air as the beast begins to break the surface again. First, it's impossibly tall central fin, sliding higher and higher, then the head, pushing waves on either side as it makes its way inexorably towards me. To my back is the boat. There is a splash as two yellow shapes emerge from the river. The leopard balances upon its emerging left fin, sinking her sharp claws in and stabbing with her dagger at what might be considered the side of its neck. At the same time, Erish the cheetah sprints along the body to the nose and begins hacking at it with two sharp little axes. Dark blood has begun spraying and dribbling out of these wounds. The mouth emerges, roaring in pain and revealing rickish, the jaguar clinging to his spear embedded in its lower throat, terrifyingly close to those teeth. As its head turns, I can see my other spear still embedded in that right eye. I swim to the side as the monster smashes against me, filling up my whole world with jagged, oppressive flesh. I dig my claws in and lurch upwards to the eye once more, slamming my second spear in deeper and further before grabbing the hilts of both and pulling backwards out and away once more. I am fully armed again, and the other cats are in the water. We are borne up and struck back against the boat as the tail thrashes us aside and disappears below the surface once more. The warriors and hunters around me hide their fear and ready themselves for the final attack, climbing up the wooden wall, clinging on with weapons primed as the waves rush against us. We wait. Nothing happens. White birds circle far overhead and cry out. I dive down to search for the great fish. There is no sign of it. I cast my eyes about below amid the salt and foam. 
All I see are the hanging remnants of lions, panthers, and jaguars slowly disappearing off into the darkest blue. Of those that went over the side, whether willingly or not, we four are all that remain. The excitement and fear I had been blocking out now threatened to overcome me, and I cling to the boat without a word, savoring the quiet pride and respect that we four have found in one another. I think back on this monumental fish, this river goddess, her terrible grace and power. We should not have ventured into her home in the first place. I feel regret that we had to injure her to escape. It is then that I can finally see the damage she has done to the boat. The side is cracked and water is sluicing through and into the lower front section. We pull ourselves up the high sides and onto the deck again. Many cats are milling around on deck, pulling tools and materials out of boxes and holdalls. I am a little surprised to find that those of us who have returned are not being hailed as heroes. But the business of taking command of this boat is in full swing, and what we have achieved is only part of that. One that is happy to see me is Miguel. He is helping Merrick to tie down ropes and clambering up the long net ladders. He holds up one paw towards me and shakes it. I imitate, but let him get on with his work. I can see many cats are rushing below deck down the front steps, and rather than taking command, I follow to see what can be done. Water is already knee-deep, and one jaguar is yowling orders. Others in the room are hammering boards against the cracks. More are coming down, and I recognize the frames of our bunks being pounded and fastened into place with flattened spikes. I am handed a bucket and begin a sprinting shuttle run up and down the narrow stairs to empty out the salty river water. Time passes. The water is reduced to puddles. Many soaking wet and filthy cats drop to the deck, gasping for breath. The boat will hold, but we are still leaking. Miguel crosses over to me, and I kneel for him to hop onto my shoulder. He shakes his head and paces along beside me as we proceed to the upper section of the boat, close to its wheel, which is being held in place by a panther shaman. Five lions are surrounded on all sides by their former captives. Among them are the red-coated chieftain, and the healer, who is sewing up the leg wound on a jaguar with strange, bright little tools from her bag. Beside her works a cat who has me feeling for my spear. Haka is loose, 
He silently tends to the jaguar, while the lioness works on her leg, and Chief Shala engages in a furious one-way conversation with Redcoat. She looks on placidly, her eyes mocking. She will not understand you, I say, one eye on Haka, the other on Miguel at my side. The moment the shaman moves, I will spring to intercept, but he does not look in the direction of the cub. Glam is over to the right. I try to catch her eye, but she is looking out over the river, clearly overcome by these events. Below her, lying still upon the boards, his side pierced is Marl. I do not know if he was her brother or her mate, but now seeing her eyes, I comprehend a great and terrible loss. I step over and place a paw upon her shoulder. She does not move. I know you would have fought well, Marl. You helped me. You helped us all. Rest now. Go with the Father of Passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. Thank you. Glam, what is Shala saying? He says the boat chief must steer us back toward our lands. She is not responding. Haka interrupts from below us. We must kill the last lions. We do not need them, only the sunset in the west. We shall carry ourselves back home. Why is he freed? I asked that he be left. We needed all healers. Chief Shala begins signing with his paws. He is unpracticed, but I understand his meaning. None of us can move this boat correctly, save for the lions. Killing them is killing ourselves. Do not let hate control you, fire talker. Haka does not sign, but speaks directly up at me. Rao, we cannot trust them. They will steer us to their own land and we shall be slaves once again. You can trust me to tell the truth. I turn in mild astonishment at hearing the words of Tiger spoken in a familiar, foreign voice. The lioness healer is talking to me, her sharp eyes regarding mine behind discs of glass balanced upon her nose. Chief Shala and the others regard our exchange with suspicion and discomfort. He did fight well. The panther... He... we worked hard to save him, but he had great injuries. You speak my words. I studied ancient languages. 
I understand some things you say, but my words will be clumsy. I am sorry. I am called Shira. My name is Rao. Shira, do you know how to move this boat? No. Can we trust your chief in red? I will speak with her. Captain Beatrix, they're asking if you can be trusted. You should have told me you could communicate with these troglodytes. Can you steer them home? Well, let's see. The last time I was at the prow, I noted that all of our freshwater stores below decks had been ruptured and were draining away with the encroaching sea. We're already three-quarters of the bloody way home. Let's be generous and say a single cask was saved. If we turn around right now and head back to the New World, we shall all die of thirst within a week. That is, unless they feed upon the blood of the weaker ones, which may sustain them the rest of the way. And I wouldn't put it past this lot to stoop to cannibalism. So, my dear doctor, you'd better go ahead and tell them all that whilst preparing yourself to be made into breakfast. They shan't understand you, of course, but console yourself with the knowledge that there was nothing else you could do. The healer gives account for what Redcoat has said. I sign it as best I can to the surrounding cats, along with others who are gathering at the steps below us. I told you- Shira, where is the nearest place we can take the boat, so that some might live? She wants to know if we're close to any other port. Curious. I expected them to tear us to pieces ten seconds ago. Tell her our best bet is continuing onwards to Lyon. It is maybe ten days east of here. There will be unavoidable deaths, but fresh water at the end of it. But they'll be clapped in irons the moment they set a paw on the street. Again? Almost certainly. Then you're condemning them to death either way. Tell them nothing of our laws. Tell them our people will let them go free. And grant them passage back home. On a new ship. Come on, Doctor Spitzbot. Our lives hang on what you say next. The chief in red says to take the boat to its destination. Our people may be persuaded to let you return home on a new ship. Shira... Is this our best chance? If we go back the other way, we will all die for certain. What if we kill the lions? Then you'll last a little longer, but still not reach your homeland. You'd have to be far fewer in number to survive on the little water we have. She surveys the many faces looking across at us. I sign the situation out for the chief. He regards Redcoat, then Shira, then looks across at what must be his own shaman at the wheel, who slowly nods. Then Chief Shala extends a paw and pulls the healer upright. Okay. We go to your home. For now. Haka growls bitterly, stands, and he and the chief lock 
eyes. You have other injured cats to attend to. Go do what you're able. Glaring, Haka backs down and stalks off. Whatever they decided upon. They want you to steer this Hulk back to Leon. Really? Well, this is most interesting. I do wonder what the courts will say. All right, Jungle Jill, out of my way. Captain's at the helm again. She pushes past me and smartly takes the wheel. Glam turns and says, conspiratorially, Come with me. I have have something something to show show you. We leave the Panthers at the top of the boat and venture down below the decks to our previous place of imprisonment. I notice Shira comes with us, possibly for protection. In the dark, Miguel just a whisker away, I can make out two hate-filled, contemptuous eyes. Fastened between two bunks by all four paws, Mohawk stares at the four of us. There is not a shred of fear upon his face. He killed Marl. We all saw what he did to you. He did this to me as well. Wow. If you do not kill him now, then I will. I look at Mohawk, then at Miguel, who is wide-eyed. This is not an ethical choice for me. I cannot leave this lion alive. Shira, tell him to make peace with his gods. Shira growls. He roars something in return. I think peace is beyond him. Very well. That is his choice. I turn Miguel away and gesture with my paw over my eyes. Then turn back to Mohawk and pull out my knife. He growls bitterly as I approach and snaps at me as I remove from his neck the opal belonging to one of the bravest warriors I have ever met. I find the garnet half-circle necklace belonging to Chief Shala. Looking at his diminishing supply of stolen possessions, I wonder what will be left of this lion once they are all back with their rightful owners. I take back Miguel's bracelet and my own as Mohawk strains against his bonds, snarling viciously. I pass my bracelet to Glam but she pushes it back into my paw. I offer Miguel his shirt button bracelet, but he mirrors Glam in non-acceptance, then marches over to Mohawk and takes from his belt a tangled necklace with a cross at the end, replacing it around his own neck. 
Mohawk growls something further, and Shira shakes her head. Whatever he said, she will not be his translator. I turn and quietly, decisively work my knife into the space between his ribs, leading to his heart. In this instant, the hatred falls from his expression, and true agony runs through his entire being. His eyes widen and he gasps, shuddering, his breath a shallow croak, until I withdraw and he flops down, still suspended by chains like some grotesque puppet, his lifeblood trickling down onto the stained, darkened boards. Mohawk, just go. As I turn back, I thread Miguel's armlet through my own and fasten it back to my arm. I take the cub back upstairs while Mohawk's body is unlatched, divested of its stolen trophies, and tossed over the side. Miguel leads me through the boat into a small but comfortable room lined with flowers and soft light. He gestures to the bed and makes the sign for sleep. I turn the situation over and over in my head. Can I let my guard down now? Exhaustion pushes at the corners of my mind, and my limbs now feel like stone. I find myself sinking down on the most luxurious bedding I have ever felt against me. I stretch and curl and paw at it, then open one eye and regard Miguel. He shakes his head and sits on a chair with his arms folded, then points to his eyes and finally at the door. With the utmost gratitude, I let my eyelids droop and am finally able to surrender myself to dreams. You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written and edited by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Rao, performed by Maureen Foley. Glam and Captain Beatrix, performed by Loretta Saylor. Dr. Shearer, performed by Laura Kate Dale. Shala, performed by Matt Wardle. Hucker, performed by Spencer Lieb. Miguel, Mohawk, and The Widow Beneath the Waves, performed by Alex Shaw. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai, composed by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound, Supernatural, Black Vortex, Lost Frontier, Snake Lady, and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incombatech.com. Solemn Vow and Protean Fields by Tabletop Audio. Our special Patreon sponsors and contributors this month were Dan Mayer, 
Ian Hopwood, Megan Hopwood, Erish Travers, Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio Dela Cruz, and Scott Corzine. Please do leave a positive review on iTunes. And for you readers out there, Secret Rooms will be coming to ebook, that's Kindle and various other formats, and paperback form in the next few weeks. Soon to be followed by Tiger's Eye once its last episode airs on here. And if you've got friends who can't really get with audio drama, this is a great way to get them well and truly hooked on New Century.